Good morning. This is the sound of the fastest Irish man in history. Away first time. Good start by Olatunde. Marcel Jacobs powering away through the middle. There's a good run from Olatunde. He's going to be just squeezed out of it, is he? It's a good finish from Olatunde. Oh, that's an excellent performance from Israel Olatunde. We'll get confirmation of Olatunde's time in just a second. That, that was an incredible last 50 Israel minutes. Olatunde is through. Oh, He's got a goodness. He is through. This is obviously historic, an Irish 100 metre sprinter in a major championship final. And the history didn't end there. That was the European 100 metres semi-final. And in the final, Dundalk's Israel Olatunde created a new Irish record with a time of 10.17 seconds. Unbelievable. He spoke to Claire. Israel Alatunde, you're on the front of just about every newspaper. You're all over the news headlines here at home. Congratulations. Cheers. Thank you so much. Like it's, it's just great to see, honestly, the support and the love that's been shown to me after last night. Um, it really means a lot to me. And yeah, I'm just so grateful to even be here, honestly. It's amazing. How do you feel today? Oh, I don't, I still haven't, I don't know if it's really settled in yet, you know, what I've kind of done, you know. I'm over the moon, to be honest. Uh, to be able to come to a European Championship and produce my best and to be able to call myself Ireland's fastest man in history, it really, that's, it's something I would have never dreamed of uh, achieving so young. So I'm just really grateful, to be honest. Like, I'm very self-motivated, but, you know, being, being able to see people um, react positive, positively and kind of share in my joy, that just means the world to me. And it kind of motivates me to, to achieve more and to push more and see where I can take this. And despite what his father might say, much of his speed might well be down to his mother. Tell us a little bit about your mother. Yeah, for sure. My mum, um, when she was in, back in Nigeria, she used to run for a state. Um, so yeah, I think that's, I think my dad, my dad kind of claims I get my speed from him, but I know I get it from my mom. <laughs> um, so yeah. So she was a, she was a runner in Nigeria. Yeah. She used to run for a school in first day. I called my mom yesterday and she was just telling me that I told you this was going to happen. I told you this was going to happen. You know, she told me before, even before the semifinals, that I was going to do something great tonight. And, um, like I just, yeah, I'm just so, I'm so grateful for her. I'm so grateful for all of them for sure. And I'm sure in Nigeria, you've got great support as well. I mean, you're Irish, but your family is Nigerian. And I know you feel you have a foot in both countries, don't you? Yeah, 100%. Like, there's a pretty strong, like, Irish-Nigerian community here in Ireland, and especially in Dublin and in Dundalk. And they always show me so much love and support. And I just want to kind of represent as best as I can. And hopefully I'm doing that. And he's set upon smashing even more records. And have you your sights set on the sub ten second barrier? Hundred percent. Yeah, it's been a dream of mine since I was a, <laughs> since I was a young kid. You know, so I think definitely I have my eyes on that for sure. I'm going to keep working towards it with my coach and see where we can end up. Israel Olatunde with Claire, and then hot on his heels, Rashida Adeleke, who set a new Irish record for the 400 metres in 50.53 seconds from lane one, which we all now know is not the good lane. The Tallow woman spoke to Catherine. Did you manage to get a few hours sleep last night? <laughs> I got like no sleep last night. Literally, <laughs> the adrenaline was still like rushing. Pumping through you. I mean, literally. Like it was so incredible. It most certainly was, particularly as this was her 49th race in a gruelling season and her first year running this distance. 
when you were coming around like you were in third sort of fourth place and then like you like to to know when to go and to know mm-hmm. when to hold back must be so challenging yeah it's so hard because like that's the thing I find frustrating about the 400 so like the 200 you just sprint the whole way like, yeah 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 to sprint the whole way but the 400 is all about like tactics so you have to like like get out the first like 100 then you have to hold and then you have to kick again and then you have to hold that like it's just so so much to think about during the race and like mm. at the same time I didn't really know exactly what type of shape I was in so I didn't know if I was going to have this complete strength I needed to bring me home but mm. you know at the end of the day like I did what I could. Rashida Adeleke and did we mention she's only 19? Watch her go. Now we are all being encouraged to use public transport more, better for traffic congestion and the environment. But this week it brought into sharp focus issues of safety. Mark Sheehan is 26 and in the early hours of Sunday morning in Dublin, he took the bus home after a night out with friends and he was assaulted. He spoke to John Cook on drive time. My friend had a crown on his head. We had gotten him a crown for his birthday and immediately they took notice of this and were poking fun at it. They were trying to grab it off his head. They were using homophobic slurs. Um, I turned around to my friend who they were saying this to. I could tell he was immediately so anxious. He has actually been homophobically attacked only earlier this year. Um, So this is a a common occurrence. It's so much more common than people would believe. This is why it's so important for me to talk about this. But I was turning to try and and just say subtly, as subtly and as calmly and and passively to the guys who were saying this, oh, lads, look, it's it's just his birthday and we're wrecked. We're just heading home, you know, yourself. You know, trying to, in no way do I want to be aggressive or confrontational, even though they're being horrible to us. They had already called us names at this point. So that just prompted them to, to just say more. They were mocking my voice. They were using slurs. I can't repeat them. They were very, very, very homophobic. And they decided to get off the bus and take a taxi. But as they went to leave, the aggression escalated. Next thing I know, my hand is booted and my um, he kicked my hand and my, my earphones in the case, they went up across the bus floor. So somebody kicked and your hand, your your earpods go flying off down the bus and, and then what? Yes. And so I turned around and I, I wasn't even aggressive. I was just looking at him and I, the, the guy who I kicked him, I was saying, why did you just do that right now? I don't understand why you would do that right now. I did nothing to you. And I, I was just looking around to see, is anyone going to speak up? No one was. So I said, okay, I just need his earphones back. And I got down onto the floor and I started looking underneath the seat. So I was right down on my hands and knees. Uh, people were sapping on my hands on purpose and kicking them. So I just stood up and I turned around and I was trying to almost plea with him and the people around him to say, why did you do that? And it was actually his friend who was sat beside him, leaps up out of the seat and gets right up into my face saying, he's going to kill you, he's going to absolutely kill you, he'll, you know, F and this and F and that. And then he was headbutted. So I started walking up towards the front of the bus and I said, I hope you know that was unbelievably scummy behaviour, you should be ashamed. Again, I wasn't being hugely aggressive in any manner. And next thing I know, I'm, I'm standing halfway down the stairs and hearing drops 
and looking down at my shoes completely covered in blood and my my jeans as well. And I looked up and he was leaning over the banisters looking at me. My head had gone hazy. My vision had kind of gone for a second. Your man just walked back to his feet. I had been headbutted. It was against my better judgment, but I did step off the bus and the doors closed. And the next thing I know, I'm looking up at the people who attacked me, jeering at me off a bus while I'm basically leaking out onto the curb. Mark Sheehan on Tuesday's drive time. And that case is currently being investigated by the Gardaí. And on Morning Ireland, Tom O'Connor, Assistant General Secretary of the National Bus and Rail Union, spoke to Mary. And he talked about recent countrywide assaults on drivers. And when it came to passenger safety, Mary asked him what recourse drivers have should something happen. What is a driver to do in these situations? What's the protocol? Uh, well, the instruction from, from the, the union and the company is the, the driver or the staff member is not to get involved. Uh, they're, they're public transport workers, they're, they're not uh, bouncers or security. And in his view, to get more people onto public transport requires the safety brought about by a Garda presence. Uh, you're never going to eliminate antisocial behaviour or, or, or drug use or, or violence. But if you have a dedicated, full-time Garda presence on public transport, uh, people will think twice before they, 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 they misbehave. And are you suggesting that we should have that full-time Garda presence on... You can't have it on every bus, on every train, uh, on, you, you can't on have every dart. We, we know the hotspots. The NTA are currently spending uh, billions on bus connects, connecting Ireland and, and Dark Plus. I mean, all that investment is for not if we can't encourage people to use public transport. And they won't use public transport unless they feel safe. But Erin are there in the bus companies, the Lewis operator, they all employ security. Well, you see, the, the problem... The problem with that security is they've no powers of uh, caution, arrest or detention. Gardaí and O'Connor are the only people and should be the only people with, with those powers. Tom O'Connor of the NBRU on Morning Ireland. But later that same morning with Clare, a contrary view from Neil Ring, independent councillor at Dublin City Council. And this despite his own recent experience on public transport. It was a Friday evening, well, Friday night, and uh, a chap got on the bus and was just extreme. He recognised me um, and he was extremely aggressive. I mean, to the point that a friend of mine who was getting off before me just said to the driver, you should call the guards, that guy is just totally out of order. Now, in in fairness to him, um, the incident didn't escalate, um, but I did see a guard car pulling up behind the bus as I got off. I just said to the lads, look, there was no issue. Um, but I will give the chap who, who uh, attacked me verbally credit. He did write to me the following week, absolutely apologising. He said he had mental issues and alcohol issues, etc. Yeah, I but just, at the I same mean, you time, it wasn't a pleasant experience. I'm sure. And, you see, you're... and as he told Claire, he remains of the view that while security may well be needed, it's not a job that should fall to the Gardaí. You're lucky that the driver did what he did and he had the time to do it and the guards came. But I can't understand, if you've gone through that experience, why you wouldn't welcome a dedicated transport police to make sure people feel safe. Well, of course people should feel safe. But my point is, um, I don't think we can have a, a special exemption for public transport and have extra guardy going on to public transport. And in, in fairness, okay. nothing, nothing happens. Like, it's not that every night there's riots on the Lewis, riots on the buses. It's not, we're not gone that far yeah. yet. 
it, it's incumbent on Transdev and Dublin Bus to make sure their passengers are safe. And if that means that Transdev have to employ more staff to do maybe the 10, 10 p.m. to midnight shift, well, so be it. I mean, their their revenues are 44, 45 million. So you, per annum. Yeah, you don't want to. Councillor Neil Ring with Claire on Wednesday, and later. The Thonish Dili of Aradgar has said people should feel safe on public transport, but a decision on dedicated transport police would be a matter for the Garda Commissioner, Drew Harris. In a statement to RTE, Angartha Siakona said it is not considering the establishment of a transport police unit at the moment. Meanwhile, over on Bioregan, Fiona Shun, August Sinead Conch, Fui Reality TV. Carter Dinish to Han Chimple Artnahol. Shadar Gumpert because yeah. I'm a celebrity. It's not a haggle too much. You know, darling and darn the layer, but a jet I can add the deals and the promo. The haggle of Dimershaw. Cago will unbrew Ufosach nor haggle too much. Oh, Rudmershin on spotlight a chunyal artain. I guess on Tarig at the Yenu, Mashin or Rudkabaldini red lap jen. I'd call him on DVD. I guess Neil Gutach made or her ama mart. Dion for Darudert. Could that as the Clorchus Hall wit to go? I'm a celebrity. Be McQueen of our Kerry Matthews, I guess. I guess Jordan would Jordan she let Peter, Peter Andre? Oh, she not, she yes. I'm a celebrity. Oh, should, like in a kettle, but Shin and Rodakruian, Nicolera has shown yeah. atmosphere yeah. sort tatufi microscope. I guess yeah. Tanisan, I guess Ensemble Bader is far the sun, the unit to Mingrola Kailanu. A guy in Moorle Kaila. The dancing, strictly. dancing, strictly dancing. There's nice, the yeah. curse of strictly, Tom. Hickenation mark. Oh, totally. We're going to wrinkle it. Those outfits. The body stocking. No girl gave a body stocking, it seems. Bjorn Regan. On Monday morning, Lyric Orla bought the traffic update and then a Twitter update for the mustachioed one. There's a thing going around about a tattoo. Part. There is. Um, I got a couple of messages about this tattoo. Um, have you, have you, do you know about it? I do. I have, I've seen it all over Twitter. What? Um, so basically, there is a lovely man called Phil yeah. who had a bet with his best friend. And if he lost the bet, yes. whoever lost the bet had to get a tattoo right. of a certain someone's face on their body. Forever. <laughs> it's a real tattoo. It's, it's a, proper... a real tattoo. That's... And I didn't want your phone kind of beeping or anything during right. when you were on air. Sure. So I sent the Twitter, the whole thread to lovely producer Ian. And yeah. I don't know if you've seen the photographs that they I... had to choose from. I... Um, there were some lovely ones. Right, okay. And they and they chose one eventually and I'm now on someone's body. <laughs> you are. I'm now part of someone's <laughs> body. It's interesting. You are. And I absolutely love the idea of it. <laughs> <laughs> Steady now. Don't try this at home. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, an, it's an odd one. Um, so anyway, I've been tattooed onto this person. You have, person. and they had a range of photographs to choose from. There was one yeah. of you in studio holding a banana. Just right. posing oh, with the banana. banana. Yeah. Um, and then another one, I think the one that they went with was one of you in studio, um, just right. kind of like, you you know, the um, sort of promo pictures that you would use for sure. Lyric. Yes. Um, that is the one that they went with. Right. So, okay. And if you scroll down through the thread, there's actually the photograph of the tattoo on the person's leg. <laughs> um, and it's lovely. It's your face right on the back Steady. of his calf. <laughs> I, I hope he never goes off me. That's well, uh, no. Who would ever go off well, you, Marty? Well, you know... That's, that's, that's a strange one. Um, I'm, I'm strangely honoured and strangely kind of 
I'm surprised and, and at the same time going, oh, oh, that must be some bad. <laughs> it must be so painful though as well. Oh, Imagine exactly. having to sit there for so long to get someone's face tattooed on you. Absolutely. And look at me for the rest of his day, <laughs> which is equally worry. Anyway, thank you for that. And, no um, problem. I think it's time to have a look and see what's going on, <laughs> Mr. Phil O'Kelly. Um, it's a great story. It it's is. Great it's story. great. Great story, but couldn't possibly be true. Or could it? Phil, good morning. Good morning, Marty. How are you doing? I'm just thinking of you. <laughs> I'm awfully well, Phil. Um, <laughs> I have to say, firstly, uh, congratulations on what is an incredibly brave thing to do. Um, I had no idea, obviously, how would I know, that you have a tattoo of me on your leg. Yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> foolishly, I made a bet with my friend Carmen. Uh, at the start of the football season. It's a f- fantasy football thing you do. Yeah, yeah, I don't even really play it. It's a bit of a time sink, but he made the offer. I said no. I thought it was a crazy idea. And then a couple of weeks later, I had a few more pints in me and said, actually, do you know what? I think actually that might be a good idea. Yeah, so we did it for the season. It went to the wire and uh, he pipped me on the last day. Right. And uh, so there you are. Perhaps the key phrase, a few pints in. But then from Marty, the crucial question. How big is it? Typical presenter. Anyway. Uh, it's, uh, I don't know, about seven inches, something like that. Uh, like, if we went any small, I was open to get it a, a lot smaller. Uh, yeah, you were suggesting a two, a two euro coin, I see, was the size. Yeah, well, that was the minimum we'd agreed on. I understand. But, but uh, we wouldn't have caught the sparkle in your eyes if we got well, <laughs> How well spotted you are. Well spotted, <laughs> thank you. Um, I, I, but anyway, you chose this one. Um, you got it now. I've got the hair and I've got the moustache and everything. I have to say, even my wife wouldn't get that done, and she's quite fond of me. <laughs> And might this be the start of something for radio fans everywhere? I don't think any of my colleagues have ever had this honour bestowed upon them. Have they not? No, I don't think so. I don't well, think so. Well, you know, hopefully it's on the first of many uh, <laughs> to, to honour you. Oh, yes, uh, but yes, but you're the first. No, no, you're the first. <laughs> you're the first to last my everything, in fairness. That's who you are now. Feel free to give me a shout if you need a leg up. But yeah, you're, very good. Thanks for the support. You're, but, uh, brave, you know, you're a brave man. You absolutely are. Good Thank you, you so much. Then. Cheers for now. See you soon. Uh, you, you'll see me every day. I'm on your leg. <laughs> Oh, it's five to nine. Heaven help us. I've got you under my skin. I've got you deep in the heart of me. So deep in my heart that you're really a part of me. I've got you under my skin. And so it begins. Joe left Buttock Ryan the right. Oh, and what's that? Just a glimpse of Claire Byrne peeping out from the lower back. Playback, right across the knuckles. Back in a bit. Welcome back. This week marked the one-year anniversary of the US withdrawal of troops from Afghanistan and the Taliban takeover. On Monday's Morning Ireland, David Murphy spoke to Salam Al-Janabi, communications specialist with UNICEF in Kabul. What are conditions like for ordinary people in Afghanistan today? 
Afghanistan has been um, for a long time one of the most difficult places for a child. But in the last year, things have actually uh, deteriorated. Uh, Beyond the ban on girls' education, which is affecting over one million girls, diseases are on the rise. We are having um, cases of acute watery diarrhea and cholera that are rising. Measles is on the rise. And also, the malnutrition rates uh, show no sign of of letting up, and we're still worried for about one million children uh, who may seriously suffer from severe acute malnutrition. All of this in a situation where the economy has collapsed and half of Afghanistan's population doesn't really know where their next meal will come from. And on drive time, John Cook spoke to Barulai Hushel, who'd come to Ireland from Afghanistan as a refugee. And he spoke about his family, who had to remain in his home country. Just wondering what kind of connections or communications are possible between you and your wife and and your son, as you said, two years old. I'm assuming you haven't seen him since he for for over a year. Yes, yes, I missed him so much. It's been one year now that I haven't seen my family, and it's not easy. It's so hard. What do they tell you about life at home right now in Afghanistan, and how how do they describe it? Um. Uh, tough i would say because uh like most of my relatives they they're not working at the moment and the economy collapsed uh so they are not working from past one year and it's so hard like 90 percent of people are now living under the poverty line and it's so hard uh, my wife, she was a high school teacher. She was teaching math. No, as the schools for for girls are closed now, she's she cannot work and she's unable to work. And the United Nations issued a statement today appealing to the world not to forget the plight of women and children in Afghanistan. I mean, that speaks volumes. Your your wife cannot work and she cannot work to educate girls who want an education there. How does she feel about that? Uh, she is... Uh, she's sad, you know, like it's hard. She 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 used to be so good and she was in love with her job. All day she is thinking about her students. He has applied for visas for his wife and son to be reunited here in Ireland. But he says that so far the process is very slow. Also on the line, Veronica Hauser of UNICEF. When you talk about uh, life for women, I've been reading about women being asked to to give up their jobs to their brothers or to men. And we heard from Barulai, my previous guest there, about his wife no longer able to teach because the school is closed uh, for women. There must be a sense of despair there for many. There's definitely a sense of despair. We've spoken to so many uh, secondary school age girls who are not able to attend grades 7 through 12, who aren't able to go back to high school. Um, and this is absolutely a violation of one of their most fundamental rights. And we find that it's not only about not being able to go to school. They're not able to see their friends. They're they're worried about their futures. It's a mental health crisis. Um, we've spoken to girls who unfortunately have even committed suicide because they're so uncertain and worried about their future. Um, And that being said, we also have spoken to many who won't give up hope. Mm -hmm. And they talk about valuing the education that they have now and um, what they're able to do in, in their education now. And if the girls... If those girls won't give up, then we won't either. And hope is really just embedded in the DNA of our organization. And we'll we're still here, we'll never leave, and we'll keep fighting. Veronica Hauser of UNICEF on Drive Time.
Closer to home, another anniversary and this weekend marks 100 years since the death of Michael Collins. And in a special What It Says in the Papers, here is John S. Doyle. The reporting on the death at the age of 31 of General Michael Collins, the first Commander-in-Chief of the Army of the Irish Free State, reflects the deep grief felt at home and abroad. Nation stunned by terrible news, says the lead headline in the Irish Independent. The Irish Times says that the manner of General Collins's death was peculiarly tragic. For two years he escaped the vigilance of the British forces with almost uncanny success, the paper says. The men at whose hands he fell were those to whom, little more than 12 months ago, he was an idolised leader. There is something infinitely sad in this sorrowful story, says the paper. Steeled as the nation is to tragedies, the Freeman's Journal says, the news of the death of Michael Collins was heard throughout the length and breadth of Ireland with a sense of stunned despair. As was said of another great national leader, the paper comments, courage when it had gone out of others shone in him like a pillar of fire. The Southern Star carries a very detailed account of events at Bailnablaw, taken from the Cork Examiner, whose reporter was given the narrative in the course of conversation with one of General Collins's party who was with him at the fatal ambush. A special correspondent in the Times also has details. The story which has been told me from unofficial sources, says the writer, is that the party, which included Generals Emmett Dalton and Sean O'Connell, were proceeding with an escort from Macroom to Bantry by a road which crosses the wild and desolate hills of West Cork. Fire was opened on the column from the high ground. The escort immediately dismounted and engaged the enemy, who were estimated to number 200, according to the Independent. After half an hour's engagement, the enemy retired, says the Times correspondent. One of the very last shots hit the commander-in-chief behind the ear. One account says that he died instantly, another that he lived for some time and went on fighting, and that his last words were, forgive them. From yesterday's morning, Ireland. Guess who's back? As always, I am restored, recharged and good to go. Had a lovely, lovely break, so... Oh, he was back all right and not holding back. My King Canute-like railing against the language continues apace. Uh, I'm still against super for very. Yeah, nothing's changed there. Super exciting. You're not. You're very excited. You're super completely out of control uh, as a word, as a prefix. But it's starting to, to seep in more and more. And that's fine. Look, why would I bother even giving it? It's, 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 it? Language evolves. Humans evolve. Everyone evolves and things happen and you just have to roll with it. But sometimes you find yourself, I get a little twitch. I get almost like an Elvis-like curl of the lip. Please don't say super excited. Uh, but but then you have to say, well, don't hang on a second. You're the problem here, not us. And that's before we even drop the J bomb, because we're all on a journey now. So but yeah, so be it. That that's what it is. And and I can't fight against it. And I'm going to keep going. Soldiering on. And the next day, more views at nine. This prompted by a new program from David Attenborough involving the British Isles. No need to text in. He was doing all the voices himself. Do we still have a bee in our bonnet about people calling us the British Isles? Or do we care? All my life I was led to believe, I hate when they call it the British Isles. We're not the British Isles. And people will write in, and let's not get into a big geography lesson about it. People say, but that's what they're called. It's in the Atlas. Let's not get in. But we do have, I, I think there's a certain amount of us in Ireland who don't want to be called the British Isles. 
We fought long and hard enough not to be part of anyone's isles apart from our own isle. You've got a sceptered isle. We've got an emerald one. So you beat it and we'll do our own thing. How's that? That's, that's one argument. Another argument goes, well, isn't it well for you to have the time and the day to be worrying about what they're called? And that's the, and, and on it goes. So I'm in two minds as to how to approach David Attenborough's take on the British Isles. Well, now, by Wednesday, the decision was made to perhaps soften his cough. All of today's programme will be uh, dealt with by me with a pit in my stomach. And you'll say, why? What's wrong? Well, the truth of the matter is that some of the young people who I work with um, have uh, feel it would be a very good idea that I should uh, go on a roller coaster this morning. I don't think I've ever been on a roller coaster. I, I, no, it's strange. Can I? It's like Indiana Jones hat here chronologically. I could, I could just get in there before I hit fifty. So it looks like I'm going to drive myself voluntarily to the gallows this morning. Uh, and have a go. It is it is a monster of a thing. I didn't even look it up. I, I don't I don't really want to see it. So I've got that little edge to me this morning with with a view to to doing that. Obviously, at some point, there will be footage of it. There's the whole point of it. Uh, but I also think there's a sick pleasure being taken in this by many many people, including um, my quote unquote friends and certainly colleagues uh, who started telling tales of, of things like uh, do you remember the one they said was unsinkable no I don't don't remember any of it in fact I preferred to talk about something else entirely but all in the name of social media promo true to his word he headed to Tato Park and all the lovely people there so did he only love it the exhilaration the near death thrill of it all it was singularly the most horrible experience I've ever had in a so-called fun fair. They say confront, you know, your fear. Don't. Uh, it is made of wood. It clicks like a demented dolphin and you get in it and then it takes off and for about 90 seconds it's Dante's Inferno. I might as well have been in all the circles. It was just horrible from the beginning to the end. So if you're kind of thinking, do you know what I'd love to do? I'd love to go on a roller coaster just to see. Don't. You're fine. Sit in your chair. Drink your coffee. Enjoy yourselves. Listen to the radio. Drive calmly. Enjoy life. You don't need to be on a roller coaster at all. So we did it. They put what's called a GoPro camera, which means, if you don't know, they put a camera in front and to get my reaction. They got nothing because I just had my head down, terrified. All they got was the top of my head going, well, mentioning all the members of the family of, essentially, Jesus Christ. And that didn't really work out so well. So it drew to a close. We landed. I said, that's enough. And I get me home. And they said, we got enough. We have to do it again. You what? <laughs> yep. And we're off. And we're down 60 feet. We go up to the top. And then woof, 60 feet down. You're gone. Sounds like fun, doesn't it? No, thanks. And we finished the second time and they got a bit of footage. It's OK. You're embarrassing. It's awful. Good luck with that. Thanks very much. Late Late Show's back in two weeks time. Was it worth it? Not really. No. Ryan very reluctantly channeling his inner Ronan Keating. So many great author interviews on the radio this week. We had the aforementioned Ryan with Donal Ryan, Catherine with Catherine Ryan Howard, but we will go with John Connolly talking to Kay on Arena. And he has a new book out. Sorry, correction. Two new books. 
two for the price of one, John. How did this come about? Oh, just because I'm a giver. What can I say? As Kinky Freeman used to say, a giver trapped in a taker's body. Now, the books are The Sisters, Strange and The Furies, and both feature his long-standing character of Charlie Parker. What makes him such a distinctive private eye? Um, I think perhaps within the genre, it's not usual to mix elements of the, the supernatural and the detective um, detective genre. They, they, they're kind of seen as antithetical. The, the mystery novel has always had a, a grave distrust, or certainly since the last century, a grave distrust of the supernatural um, because it views itself as entirely rational. And yet, you know, Irish people, Irish writers in particular, have always been very interested in that kind of cross-pollination. If you go back to Lefanu and a book like Uncle Silas, Uncle Silas is essentially a mystery novel, but it draws again and again on the language of the supernatural. And I've never really seen that kind of division. And to be honest, I'm, you know, I was raised a Catholic. It's very hard to be a Catholic and entirely rational. And And so when I began writing, it seemed quite natural to me to mix two genres that I had a great deal of fondness for and that were, especially the supernatural, was so much a part of my heritage as, as an Irish person and, and the culture and my upbringing. And first published 23 years ago, Charlie Parker is getting older and evolving. The, the rage that, and the rage that I probably had when I was in my 20s, that anger that you have when you're gone is has dissipated slightly and has turned into something else, something much more closer to to compassion and, and understanding. Um, the novels are far less violent than they were. Yes, when they not as gory. No, no, I, I slowly but surely I learned that less is more. Um, <laughs> but, and, and their conviction, his conviction in the rightness of his cause has become more and more pronounced. Um, you know, I, I as I get older, I'm, I'm less tolerant of, of people who are unkind to others. I, I used to apologise to maybe more conservative readers who felt that there was a a political agenda in the books, but I find it really hard to separate questions of justice from questions of social justice. And and so they manifest themselves in the books and Parker is is very much convinced that that we have an obligation to stand up for those who are who are weaker than ourselves, who are vulnerable in society and and that conviction is hardened as the books go on. John Connolly on Arena. With Claire on Thursday, Aileen Hickey of Parent Line and children's author Shane Hegarty on those little idiosyncratic habits of those that you love most. Irritation bingo, anyone? Not rolling down shirt sleeves for the wash. Uh-huh. Yes, and putting things in inside out so that when you hang them out, you've got to do it. Bold socks. Yes. Yes, yeah, so that you kind of, they, they come out and they just make that awful crusty kind of sticky noise when you have to open them yeah. up. My husband lights the match and then puts the spent match back in the box. It's inexplicable, genuinely made me question our compatibility. I just don't understand how somebody can actually just put the empty packets back into the cupboard without telling you so that you can't even replace it. But we've about four or five different uh, things of ketchup that have four <laughs> <Yeah>. nano molecules <laughs> of ketchup left in this kind of crusty bit. Putting the new toilet roll on top of the holder <laughs> yeah. and not actually into it. Everybody yeah. in my family does that. Everybody. Yeah. <sighs> Let it all out, people. Breathe. Or, in Aileen's husband's case, don't. My biggest issue, uh, as uh, my, my husband says, is I, I have a real difficulty with the sound of breathing. 
breathing too loudly, but I just can't stand the noise of it. I can't stand that. I just, it drives me. Can't stand it in the car, can't stand it in the bed, can't stand it on the sofa. Like, I just have to move away. But he actually said, I've reduced it down to just simply breathing, which is a bit of a problem when your biggest pet peeve is the noise of your husband breathing Sorry, you, at all. Sorry, really, you've got a real issue there. <laughs> It doesn't look good. I mean, chewing too loudly is one thing. Breathing too loudly is another, but breathing at all is nearly, is nearly a bigger difficulty again. But in a case of pot kettle black, this from a woman who hoards the good stuff in the boot of the car. When I go to have a shower, there's never a towel because every single towel in the house is on the floor of somebody else's bedroom or under a bed. So I, I have taken new steps uh, to, to, to deal with all of this. So I now t- have a stash of bath towels in the boot of the car. No. Yeah. Where I keep them. I always have at least three or four. The good ones now I leave. I leave the, the torn ones in the cupboard. But So the your, good own, ones, your own towels for your personal use yeah, are in your car? In the boot of the car. So also in the boot of the car are uh, about half the frying pans from the house because I discovered during COVID that you know, every time when one of them went into the kitchen, they would just take out another frying pan. And they'd be, so I decided to make them wash the frying pans. I would just reduce the number of frying pans. We had about six frying pans because they're, they're always on the go with frying pans. So I put four of the frying pans into the boot of the car and I haven't taken them out since. Is there anything else in the kitchen? Yes. I want to go see what's there, in Cereal bowls. Yeah. I have loads of cereal bowls in there because if I go to have a bowl of cereal, there's never a bowl because again, they're all encrusted in concrete all over the floors of their bedroom. So, just to, so the only way I can make sure I have a cereal bowl is if I hide some of them down the back of the bookshelves or I might bring a couple in my handbag or put them in the car. Spoons? <laughs> I have all the spoons gone. <laughs> they can't find a spoon themselves now. So, so, so if you so want to have a shower yeah. or, or have anything to eat, you've got to go out to your car, yeah. source your supplies yeah. and then go back in. Yeah, but I don't mind. It's easier. I can go to the car, I can get a frying pan, a bowl, a spoon and a towel for my shower afterwards and I know where they all are rather than going to the cupboards and finding nothing in there. Actually when we were going on holidays recently I, I had been missing a load of bowls and I discovered I'd hidden them behind all the suntan lotions but I'd forgotten <laughs> where I'd hidden them so it was a lovely surprise when I found the three cereal bowls we down need, the back of the we suntan. We need to talk to the rest of your family about your habits. <laughs> That's what we need to do. Love Yourself Today is a documentary about Damien Dempsey or, to be exact, his ability to move a room full of people to sing, cry and laugh. Director Ross Colleen joined Ryan. Why did you go to the gig that night? Who convinced you or what? Did, why did you want to be there? A friend of mine just told me, you know, look, you're, I think uh, you should go and see Damo. You'll like really benefit from it, you know. And I went along. My wife was pregnant at the time and we went along to the show on Vicker Street and we sat up in the uh, the top row and you kind of get a different vantage point of the gig, you know, and, you know, uh, basically started looking around and just seeing everyone just really uh, lose themselves in the moment and people were crying and, you know, tough guys, big six foot six mm-hmm. fellas, mm-hmm. you know, arm in arm with each other, mm-hmm. bawling their eyes out. And, you know, suddenly myself, and my wife were crying and, then at the end, I could see Damo was just giving it so much and everyone was giving it back to him. And it was just amazing what was happening in the room. It was, it was very spiritual, cathartic kind of experience. You know, it was almost like this safe space that Damien was creating for people who are carrying all this baggage. So wh- what triggered your tears? Well, there's a song, uh, Chris and Stevie, that uh, Damo sings. And it's, you know, it's about two friends of Damien's who he, he lost to uh, suicide, you know. Um, but the refrain of the song is I'm missing you today and you know I think everyone applies those lyrics to whatever they're going through and for me it was you know my mother and you know the person she was and 
just watching her slip away like that, you know, yeah. and uh, that's what kind of sent me over the edge. And for Damien, singing and performing like this is a form of release with spiritual connections. What happens in Vicar Street, they should do that every Sunday in every church around Ireland, you know, <laughs> should have a big sing song. Yeah. Not, not singing them old hymns, singing, uh, you know, I don't know, just maybe singing ballads or, you know, just have a, get together and have a big sing song together, you know, yeah. and not be preached at by, uh, you know, we think uh, spirituality is a, it's it's a sacred thing. We were always very spiritual people in Ireland and we should keep that up, you know. A lot of people were torn away from spirituality because of the, the scandals. So uh, I think we should cut the toys with Rome and just have our own uh, Irish church and just have sing songs every Sunday. And when he does sing, he believes he doesn't sing alone. Not really. As Christy Moore always said to me, don't think it comes from you, it comes through you from a good place, you know, any sort of talent, uh, sort, any sort of uh, music, it comes through you, you know, and uh, that's that's what I feel. I don't feel any different to the fans. I feel like I'm with them, you yeah. know, it, it's, it's, there's, there's, there's no big ego there or fame or it's just uh, I'm one of them just singing and uh, we're all, there's something spiritual coming through us in that room when we when we all get together and sing. It's uh it's very primal or something and it's 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 it just uh, lifts you lifts your heart, you know. And then this text came in, which almost by accident prompted a story from Damien that was very powerful. Another from Richard who's in based in Cork in Boston. He says, I come home to Ireland every year and make sure I get to Vicar Street. This year I made it to the musical church in Dingle, other voices. I later found out his father died before he walked on stage in church. Uh, that's the power. So thank him from me. You heard that night? Uh, just about half an hour before I went on the stage. So, uh, <laughs> How did tough. you do that? I just, I said, I'm going to sing him across the Great Divide, you know. I'm going to sing for him, sing a soul across the Great Divide. And uh, so I sang for him. To pass over, you know. Um, I, I, I don't know what he put me on air to do, you know. God. Him and my mother, you know. What did you do after that performance? I broke down. <laughs> yeah, sort of collapsed, you know. But uh, that's it's love, you know. It's, uh, I'd rather feel the love than never feel anything, you know. Damien Dempsey. That is it from this week's playback. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next week. I am an angry man, yeah. I vent it when I can, yeah. On the bag, not the sky.